Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We would be lost without your word. And so we thank you for the word which guides us, brings us back, keeps us from straying, in which we hear your voice. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would do these things for us as we, as we study your word, give ourselves to the obedience of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now Genesis chapter 35, verse 16. All right, here we go. Genesis 35, 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. It came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Okay, now, in our last study, what we did is we were looking here at Rachel giving birth to her last son. This is her last son. It's the last son. Benjamin, and she's in this hard labor, and it results in her death. And we saw how the midwife, she could see how Rachel knew she was going to die and how Rachel was afraid of dying. She was in this desperate fear. And so the midwife tries to distract her from that fear of dying by saying, look, you're going to have another son, Rachel. This is good news. You're going to have another son. So we read in verse 17, it came to pass when she was in hard labor, the midwife said unto her, fear not, thou shalt have the son also. But the next verse tells us it wasn't any avail because she was dying. She was in the process of dying. And we read in verse 18, it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died so that we understand exactly what that means. Her soul was in departing. And we talked about this description of Rachel's death, her soul was in departing. We talked about how, how, how death is a departure to another location. And what's really important to see in verse 18 is that when Rachel's soul was in departing, she was in departing, these are like her last words, she gives this important name to this son. And the name that she gave to this son is made up of two words, Ben, Ben, which is his son, and Benoni, that last part, I is my, but the part in the middle there is really a contraction of the word Aven, Aven. Then Aven, so she's saying, he's the son of my Aven. Aven's an interesting Hebrew word because it's very similar to Ayan, Ayan, which means nothing. It's like nothing, it means zero. And so what captures the, the essence of this word Aven 
that she used here is that it has within its meaning this concept, a reduction to nothing. And when you're full of sorrow, I mean, isn't that the way you feel? You feel like when you're full of sorrow, you feel like you've been reduced. You've been reduced to nothing. That's why the word oven is used in that Psalm of Moses, you know, in Psalm 90, verse 10, where it describes our lives. He says, the days of our years are threescore and ten, seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, eighty, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. It's labor and oven, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So what he was saying here is that, okay, normally a person lives about 70 years old. Well, we've come a long way since then, haven't we? <laughs> it's about the same now. In some rare cases, he may live to be 80 years old. But if he does, then his strength is sorrow and oven because it's a sorrow where he sees strength as being reduced to nothing. You know, as the list grows of all of our medical problems, you know, it's really reductive to nothing. It's that feeling. So when Rachel named her last son Benoni or Ben-Avin, she was expressing that her sorrow was that her son had reduced her to nothing because she died in giving birth to him. So that's the meaning behind this word Avin, sorrow, pain. And this is the name that Rachel gave to him was the son of my sorrow. If you want to think of Avin can also mean pain. He's the son of my pain. And with this name, she was saying that if he wasn't born, that she wouldn't have this sorrow. If he wasn't born, she wouldn't have this pain because her son had reduced her to the nothingness of pain and sorrow. So she owned the child as her own son. She says, my, my son, my son. In other words, she says, okay, he's my own flesh and blood. But Rachel said, even so, I can see in this child of mine sorrow and pain. And she could see that that this son was the reason for her sorrow in pain that, that reduced her to nothing. So she calls him Benoni, which is the son of my sorrow, the son of my pain. Okay. Now, what happened next is interesting. I mean, Jewish families are never boring, you know, so <laughs> there's always something interesting going on. So his father comes along, Jacob or Israel, and he hears, oh, Rachel just named this son. She just named this son Benoni. You know, the son of my pain, son of my sorrow. And he says, okay, I have a name for him also in verse 18, where it says, but his father called him Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin. Benjamin is also an interesting word. It's made up of two words, Ben, son, and Yamin. Yamin is right hand, right hand. So I'm, I'm going to read these verses that you have here, that you have the yamin, or right hand. I'm going to read you some verses in the Bible where yamin is used, the right hand. And I want you to think about what is being communicated, and this is all about God. What's being communicated in these verses when it talks about God's right hand? First, in, in Exodus 15.6, Exodus 15.6, thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. So think about that concept. So what's the right hand of God there representing? Okay, Psalm 21.8, Psalm 21.8. 
Thy hand shall find out all thine enemies. Thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Now think now. What's being communicated by the right hand of God when it says, thy right hand shall find out all those that hate thee? All right? Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611. The song that Betsy wrote, right? Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, Psalm 17.7, Psalm 17.7. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. All right? Again, think about what this is saying about the right hand. Psalm 18.35. Thou hast given me the shield of salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Again, think about what the right hand's doing here. It's sustaining, it's holding up. All right, Isaiah 41.10, very famous verse, Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Okay, Psalm 48.10. According to thy name, O God, so shall this thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. That's interesting. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. That's why we call it the right hand, right? This is the right hand. This is the right hand. This is the wrong hand. <laughs> okay? <laughs> In Italian, that's the way you say it. You know, you say the right hand, and then this hand you call the sinistra hand, the sinistra hand, or the sinister hand. You know, it's kind of like a, like a wee up to you. Anyway, all right. Psalm 118, verse 16. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. All right? And then the verse that really brings it home to the Lord Jesus Christ is Psalm 110, verse 1, which he challenged the Pharisees to, to he asked them, he said, think about this. Why was this said? When he said to them, sit there in Psalm 110, verse 1. He said, why did the Lord say to my Lord? What does it mean? The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So what we see about the right hand of God is that it represents the Lord's glorious power, the Lord's power and judgment of his enemies, the place where the Lord's pleasures are forevermore, the power of the Lord in salvation, the power, the keeping power of the Lord, the Lord's righteousness, his exaltation, and supremely the place where the Lord Jesus Christ is. So if you wanted to sum up all these verses and what they're really saying about the right hand of God, you would say the right hand of God represents simply God's power. It represents his power. And all this is represented by the right hand of the Lord. So when Jacob named his last son, son of my right hand, he's really saying, son of my power, son of my power. See, Jacob, he's probably feeling his age. I mean, who wouldn't when you're over 100 years old, you know? (laughs) And he looked at his last son, and he said, oh, my weakness, son of my power, son of my power. He greatly valued him. Jacob greatly valued this son. In essence here, 
Jacob was saying that Benjamin would give him the power that he didn't have because he was old. So he named him the son of my right hand, meaning the son of my power. Now, when you look at verse 18, and you just look at the word called in verse 18, it's very interesting because it says, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. See, She called him son of my sorrow, son of my pain. He called him son of my power, son of my right hand, son of my power. How could two people who are husband and wife with one echad flesh be so divided in their view of this one child? I mean, they both called him son. So they both acknowledge he's my flesh and blood. How could this be that one person in this echad union, this unity of marriage of man and wife, one person in that union of man and wife calls him son of my pain, and the other person calls him son of my power. How's that possible? How could two people who are one be so divided in their view of this child? You know, I used to look at this verse 18, and I used to say, well, all right, that's Rachel, okay. So, you know, the name that Rachel gave him is son of my sorrow, and okay, so, you know, that kind of reflects uh, Rachel, that's how I looked at it, you know. And, okay, it's overruled by Jacob. He's got to rename. He's got to you know, erase that name, son of my sorrow. Now he's going to be son of my right hand. His name is not son of my sorrow because he was replaced by son of my right hand. That's how I used to look at this verse. But that's not, I see now, that's not the correct view. That's not the correct view. Because at the end of this chapter, we have the listing of the names of the sons of Jacob. And they are, as we see in verse 23 through 26, the sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. And the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, Asher. And these are the sons of Jacob. Who named all those sons? Who named them? Two people. <laughs> Two people named them. It was the women. <laughs> right? And it was the two, who were the two people who named them? Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah. They named every one of those sons. And whatever name, and Jacob didn't name one of those sons. Sorry, Jacob. <laughs> you know, he didn't name one of those sons. The mothers, Rachel and Leah, because the others were the handmaids of them, they named the sons, and those were the valid names of those sons. Those were the names. So when Rachel gave the name Benoni, to the last son. That was the valid name of that child. When Jacob named him Benjamin, that was a valid name for that child also. So what's that mean? See, notice in verse 18, it does not say Jacob renamed him Benjamin. What it says, the same word is used, is that Rachel called him Benoni, or son of my sorrow, and Jacob called him Benjamin, or son of my right hand. So he's got two names. This boy has got two names from two people who see him completely differently from each other. One person sees no value in him and gives him the name son of my sorrow, son of my pain. Another person sees great value in him and calls him son of my power, son of my right hand. One person looks at him and says, I wish he was never born. The other person looks at him and says, I'm so glad he was born. He's very dear to me. 
he will give me power in my weakness. One person looks at him and says, he's the reason for my pain and sorrow. Another person looks at him and says, he's the reason for my strength and joy. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing at the end of verse 18 is a prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This dual naming of Jacob's last son as both Benoni and Benjamin, we see this in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ was brought into the temple and Simeon was the priest and he gave a prophecy, a very important prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 2.34. In Luke 2.34, it says, and Simeon blessed them. So that would be, you know, here's Mary and Joseph and they come with a baby Jesus. And Simeon blessed them. They came, they wanted a baracha, they wanted a blessing. And so Simeon the priest, he blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, that's always a big, ver- big word in the Bible. It means, look at this, take careful notice of this. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. So here comes the couple, Mary and Joseph. It's a great day. And they're bringing Jesus to the temple. And they want a blessing for the new child. And you can picture him. You can picture him coming there, and, and they're waiting. Oh, let's hear what the priest has to say, you know. I mean, and again, nothing's boring. It's always a surprise. And so the, the priest says, behold, this child is set. That means that God has appointed or constituted that this child will be for the fall of many in Israel and also for the rising again of many in Israel. Now, when this verse says the rising again, and the word again, you see the word again there. Well, if you have King James, you'll see the word again. What we need to know is that the word again does not appear in the Greek. So the original manuscript does not have the word again. It was added by the King James translators. It should have been put, a word put in italics. Again, should have been italics to indicate that it's added. And there's a problem, and there's, a, there, there's something not so great, and there's something great about having the word again, if we understand the right way. The problem with putting the word again in this verse is that it leads us to, it could lead us to think, well, every Jewish person is going to fall and then rise again. You know, like, that's not what it means. The good part about having the word again in there, in this verse, is if it leads us to see that Jewish people, all Jewish people do fall as all people fall, that some rise again. And so it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and then you, you put that together with John 1, 11, and 12. He came unto his own. His own received him not, but they fell. But as many as received him, they rose again. To them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So all Israel, like us, fell into sin. Most of the Jewish people stayed fallen by not receiving him, but there were as many. There was a group called the as many that did receive him, and they rose up, and they became the sons of God. So the word fall... In the Greek here, it means misery. It means suffering. It means ruin. So he predicted the fall, and it was predicted here, and he knew that too. The Lord Jesus Christ knew that, and it broke his heart. This was his heartbreak in his life. And when he was standing there in Luke 19, 42, before the Jewish people, he said, in Luke 19:42 if thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace 
thy shalom, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days will come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. See, because they didn't let the Lord Jesus Christ protect them, because they didn't let him protect Jerusalem, it fell in 70 AD to Titus. And he wanted to protect them. He said, I don't want this to happen to you. And that's what was the whole background between Matthew 23, 37, Matthew 23, 37. This is when he's saying, I don't want this to happen. So he cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. And this is unbelievable. He says, I tried, I tried, I tried. And what did you do to my prophets? What did you do to my messengers? He killed them. How often would I have gathered thy children together? He sends one prophet after another. He sends one messenger after another. They kill one right after the other. He said, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And you would not. And then he says, behold, your house is left unto unto you desolate. So we see from Simeon's prophecy that the Lord Jesus was set for both the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And Isaiah spoke about these two aspects of the Lord in Isaiah 8.14, Isaiah 8.14, where he said, and he shall be for a sanctuary. That's good. He shall be for a sanctuary and for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So just like Benjamin had two opposite names of son of sorrow and son of power, we see the Lord had two opposite names also of a sanctuary and a stone of stumbling. So when it says in this verse, he shall be for a sanctuary, that uses a wonderful, great Hebrew word for sanctuary that we see uh, one of the first times you see that, and it's famous because that's a word that's used to describe the tabernacle in Exodus 25.8. It's the mission statement for the tabernacle in Exodus 25.8. And let them make me a sanctuary. That's the same word. That I may dwell among them. Sanctuary that's used here in Isaiah 8.14, when it says, and he shall be for a sanctuary, is the same word that describes the purpose of the tabernacle in Exodus 25.8. So God could dwell among them. The tabernacle represents the Emmanuel. The, God, the tabernacle represents the God with us aspect. So the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's Emmanuel. In Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 7.14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's our Emmanuel. He's our E-emed with God with us. He's our togetherness with God, Emmanuel. Is God with us. The Lord Jesus Christ is our tabernacle. He's our tabernacle. He's our sanctuary. Just like it says in John 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Start 2017 off right at Sunday Night Church. Join Bible teacher Tom Cantor on New Year's Day for evening worship at the Friendship with God Fellowship Services located at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Sunday, January 1st, it's the first day of the new year, but also the last day of Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. To commemorate Hanukkah, we'll have a menorah lighting, amazing soft guignot desserts, latkes, Hanukkah music, history of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah dreidel games and more. Our food and dessert fellowship starts at 4.30 p.m., and then 5.30 p.m., we'll hear an inspiring New Year's Bible message from Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. If you're not in San Diego, you can live stream services and watch messages at friendshipwithgod.org. Celebrate 2017 and the last night of Hanukkah with dreidels, drinks, desserts, and more on Sunday evening worship with Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship located at the Creation and Earth History Museum on Woodside Avenue North in Santee. Call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.